Yeah, here we go. You'll have this take. Oh, you'll, you'll there's no take. It's just I know what's coming down the line. So you might as well just say it now. What am I, I going to say? Does this rhyme with Jenny Gel? <laughs> I want you to be happier. I want you to be happier. I'm a big believer in the AF. Lifelong, lifelong Arizona Hotshots fan. <laughs> this this one hurts. This one hurts. Because it's not even like your team left and moved to a different city. Like, it's just dead. It does not exist. Now if we jump together, at least we can swim far away from the wreck we made. Then only for a minute. I'm not going down to anyone's basement. Piss me off, Marty. <laughs> I want to raise your spirits. I want to see you smile. No, that means I'll have to leave. Holding the shaft very tight. Welcome in to another episode of the Muni Lot Drunkard. CB here with Zach. I'm not even going to include Bundy's name anymore. I think he's just kind of off of it. I told you I'm actually doing a live podcast here with him soon, so I think he's pretty much content with that. But today is Thursday, May 16th, 2019, and the tribe just ruins my emotions every other day. It, It feels like every other day with this team. Yeah, that's about right. So, I've been getting a lot, again, off topic, I've been getting a lot of crap recently. So, today in the office, uh, one of the hosts that I work with, he's a little bit older, he's about about 9, 10 years older than I am, he just started Instagram, he's been trying to get get the ropes around it, and he notices that, you know, I follow a lot of female accounts. And he is perplexed by that, and as he put it, he's jealous you know, I, I'm not going to go the steps of why he might be jealous in that sense, but he's jealous that I have that many connections in the female realm. And I tried to explain to him. I mean, as a millennial and as a young millennial, Instagram is kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird social norm. Like as a guy, you don't follow that many guys versus how many women you follow. I mean, yeah, I guess right. That's, like yeah. naturally, yeah, that's fair. Now the discrepancy between how much versus the other, like ratio, might be different. Right. Well, also, too, are are we talking like girl, just like models and stuff that you're following? Are these just girls that are in your no, life? No, I mean, I, again, I went to Ohio State. I've right. I've been in a lot of big settings where I meet a lot of people, and I don't know. I just, I guess, I meet a lot more women than I do men. Uh, okay. But at the same time, it's Humble like, brag. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like you just, you tend to only follow guys, you know, really close, but you know, there's always those Instagram models from your school. You somehow find along the way and you follow and it's nothing more than just, it's just the popular person. I don't know. I don't know how, to, how else to put it. I mean, I'm a single man. There's nothing that I had to worry about. <laughs> I'm just saying like. You know, older millennials need to back off and need to understand what the game of the IG is all about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I just, for me personally, I just follow people that I know in general and just leave it at that. I don't worry too much about what what the uh, what the sex or the gender of said person is. I mean, I'm not going around and saying, oh, I got to keep my ratio five to one <laughs> or something like that. I just generally... I tend to have more girlfriends than guy friends. That's how it is actually in life, so it kind of yeah, reflects on okay. online. I don't know. I mean, that's fair. Besides the point, we're here to talk about sports, and more importantly, your tribe and your Browns. We're going to start off with the tribe tonight. Zach, this week was just really weird, this little mini road trip we went on. So we went on a three-game stint in Oakland, and then we had a two-gamer right before we come back for a long, what is it, like 10- or 11-day homestand. 11 and so you take only one game from Oakland out there. The other two games you lost were actually in walk-off fashion. So while those games, and I mean, you're watching in the game, you felt disappointed with you just had nothing offensively mm-hmm. to help with your pitching. You were still in every single one of those games. Right. It's hard to think about because it doesn't feel like it. It feels like a 3-1 game or a 4-3 lead for like Oakland feels almost insurmountable at times. Yeah. Well, I, I, our offense is just so frustrating and then you have days like on tuesday when you put up nine runs was it five home runs right we'll get to that yeah there's just a they went off that's the best way to put it you know they went off on banuelos who they went off actually earlier 
in the week prior when they had that rainout game that was five to, no- five to nothing against the White Sox. They jumped on him again. Jordan Luplo had another two home run game. He's the first guy to face the White Sox and have multi multi home run games against the Sox. Who is the only other guy in that span of time? It's about I I think it spans about five years. I saw this on Twitter. Mike Trout. Mike Trout is the only other guy in a single season to have two or more multi home run games against the White Sox. Well, the thing is, too, the first three were all off the same pitcher. Yes, Manny Benuelos. Yeah, yes. I mean the guy statistically has been bad all year, and they finally pounced on one of those types of pitchers because they have not done it to this point in the season. Well, outside of the first game where they won 5 to nothing in the rainout game, they see him again and they do it again. This, these are the opportunities we talk about. You need to jump on them. We're facing pitchers that aren't that great. We did it with Daniel Mendegan, or whatever the hell his last name is, in the last game in that Oakland series. But there was a few games early on in that series. I, I, they did a bullpen game in the second game, and the Tribe couldn't do anything. It's just this offense in Van Berkeley. <laughs> and then it's funny, too, because we were going, you and I were texting back and forth. We were going off on him. And then, of course, then they put up nine runs. Right. You know, that just it's always how it has to work out. Um, Actually, bringing up Ty Van Berkeley, I wanted to bring up that quote you sent me. Or I actually, I think I sent you it. Yeah, I think you sent me Um, it. Yeah, he said, I haven't changed anything in seven years. I mean, out of context, that sounds bad already, but... Obviously, he's referring to how he addresses his hitters and whatnot. Uh, we've been doing the same thing, working hard and looking at video and showing video. So, no, if you're asking me if we second-guess ourselves, no. It's bad, but he also was like, the things they're doing repetitively are like the things you're supposed to do. Like, obviously, you're supposed to watch video and learn from the video of your at-bats. I mean, of course, you're not going to change that, but like changing your approaches, I think he loved the, led, left this quote kind of open-ended. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, also, too, this is the first year in the last seven that we are hitting below 250. As a like, as a team. As, as, a, as team? a team, yes. Aren't they, like, around 218, 219? 221. Oh, my goodness. And that, that was all courtesy. Of, it was probably around 218 going into our, uh, our nine-run display. You know what? I honestly might as well just talk crap about Jordan Luplo for the rest of his life. Because oh, if, do. if he's going to keep on hitting, I think he's up to, like— th- 290, 295 right now. He's yeah. hovering in that range. Uh, 280 right now in the year. So he's still around 280. I mean, that's still, you're getting that from a right-handed outfielder. You've been dreaming of this. Right. Especially with how bad you stacked the lineup with left-handed outfielders. Right. And then obviously with Mercado getting called up, being another right-handed outfielder, that will help. Hopefully it was just a little bit of the jitters in his debut going over. For three with three Ks, and he got he scored on uh, after he was hit by a pitch. Sure. So I mean, hopefully that'll be once he got that his debut, get that out of the way, then hopefully he'll have a uh, good series coming up. If we don't win at least three games against the Orioles, I was about to say you have to at least and looking forward on the schedule, you have to dominate this homestand. Correct. I mean, I mean, it will get a little little tough at the end. You have a four game set with the Rays, which they're they're starting to come back down to or. Down to earth, right? But they're they are still playing like a good team, though. Here's the here's the thing. Okay, so with the Rays, they just put Tyler Glass now. He's on the D or the IL is what's what it's called now. He's uh-huh. out at least four to six weeks. That's a huge blow. Yeah, this is already a team that depended on a short amount of starters to begin with. So you're looking at at least maybe I would say multiple games of bullpenning from them. And if you can at least dive early in that series, you can dive deep into that bullpen right away. You're setting up the rest of that series for you to dominate if you do it correctly. Right. I'm not scared by the Rays. I think that was just a fast start. They've got some good starts by good guys, but honestly are playing over their capabilities and over their career-long statistics. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Last year, I believe, especially in fantasy, people jumped on that Matt Davison, who was like a third or first baseman for the White Sox, Mm -hmm. had like three home runs in the opener, and then went the rest of the season below the Mendoza line and was eventually cut. Like, yes, you don't want to overreact to fast starts, but I think there was some merit behind what the Rays were doing. The only issue is is that the contributors that were doing it haven't really done it before, and we can put in the same breath the likes of a Yandy Diaz. Like, he's changed his approach a lot, mm-hmm. and it's 
paid off, especially in this home run numbers and this fly ball rate is astronomically high from what he's done in his career. Right? Can he keep it up? I I don't know. Especially playing in that division, I think that's pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, plus two, we're we just passed at least with the Indians just passed a quarter way through the season. So I mean, you have guys that are nearing 150 at ABs. So I think kind of around that range is when you can kind of see where your season's going to go. I mean, that's not to say that someone can't turn it on or fall off the face of the earth in the second half of the season, but I think you kind of get a good good baseline there. Now, to, uh, actually, going back on the topic of former Indians real quick, um, would you pay $18 million for this in a season? I'm, I'm just asking. Uh, batting average, first off, it's a left-handed outfielder. He's batting three thirty-five. With 10 home runs, 31 RBIs, 26 runs, and three stolen bases. Yeah. Congrats, because you had the opportunity to do that, and he was crying out the door, and it's Michael Brantley doing it for the Houston Astros. Well, Houston's the best-hitting team in the majors. Oh, by a long shot. So they're they're up 20 points on St. Louis. And also keep in mind... With all National League teams, they are by rule required to bat a pitcher. Almost a third of the time, a third of like the innings, a pitcher has to take an at bat at minimum. Right. And they are 20 points ahead. And they are 22 points ahead of, guess, the American League team. Oh, I want to say, I want to say the Red Sox. Wrong. Really? Because I thought uh, they've turned it on as of late. They have. They have. But I think their slow start kind of... It is the Minnesota... Probably, probably hurt. The Minnesota Twins. See, that was my next guess. Is the third best batting average in the entire Major League Baseball and the second best behind Houston in the American League. The Minnesota Twins, at their catcher position specifically, if you just want to take into consideration how absurd their start has been and why it might not be, you know, it's not going to continue... And why you would be positive as a tribe fan to have some optimism is that their catcher position already to this point and the combination between Mitch Garb- Garber or Gardner or whatever mm-hmm. and uh, the Tortuga Willens Osterdudo like some take a look at, take a picture of him look him up his nickname is called the Tortuga or that, La that- Tortuga. Tortuga is Spanish for turtle. Well, I do know that because he kind of looks like a turtle. But the two catchers combined have 16 home runs. It leads the MLB for that position. Oof. 16 home runs. I mean, the Mitch guy is pretty good, but he actually just went on the IL. I don't see certain guys like that sustaining. It's like what I was talking about with the Rays. There's certain guys that are playing above their abilities, uh, especially Jonathan Scope. He used to be a 280 hitter. He's currently there. I don't see him doing that long term. Um, CJ Crone's another guy that's doing really well. He's going to hit the bombs, but his batting average isn't going to be as high as it is. Uh, Nelson Cruz is steady. I don't know when his decline is going to happen, and it's honestly not looking like this year. And last but not least, Marlon Gonzalez, who's actually had a bad season to this point. So it's been kind of up and down for certain guys. Some guys have played below their average. Some have played well above. Right. But... Changing topics, it looks like you shouldn't expect this fire momentum that the Twins are on to continue for the long haul. Right, but I mean, also at the same point, you would have got me if you would have said that a quarter way through the season that the Indians would be four and a half games back. Yeah, I mean, of course. I I was imagining us being in the lead no matter who was in second place. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh I think a lot of it, though, while it's it's big, how big the hitting has been for Minnesota, more importantly, their starting pitching has been over the top. I mean, I expected, like I said last week, Jose Barrios has been playing out of his mind, especially at home. I think his ERA is below two at home. Mm-hmm. You also have Jake Odorizzi, who's playing very, very well. His whip's under one, and his ERA is below three. Um, you also have Kyle Gibson, who's had a pretty good season. Michael Pineda, while he's had some rough starts, he's been pretty serviceable as like a three or a three or a four guy for them, depending on the spot in the rotation. They've had pretty good contributions from the middle of that rotation, but how long does that last? Statistically, across the careers of both Gibson and Odorizzi, it does tend to fall apart at some point. Right. So I don't know how long that starting pitching can help them. And also, when you're looking at the bullpen. They have plenty of names that have gone on from other teams 
because they were not good enough. You know, Blake Parker used to be the closer in L.A. for the Angels and was substantially lessened as his career went on, was eventually let go because he could not complete saves, and his ER was always a mess, and they chose Cody Allen, and now look how that's turning out for them. But those guys are actually performing very, very well for the Twins. Again, how long does that sustain? I mean, it's just going to have to be a weighted out situation because, I mean, you really have no idea. Like, you can have a good guess, but then again, guys could be having career years at the same time. And then the same way with, like, the Indians. Like, obviously our hitting hasn't been the great, hasn't been the greatest. But you also have, like, J-Ram hitting below 200 for the year. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can't, you can't expect that to continue. His adjusted runs created statistic, which the average in the league is about 100, and it's a metric that's done by very, very smart people that I can't do. A lot of uh, his, num- his number is around 66. So that's how below the league average he is right. and just some of the more extreme, extensive statistics in baseball. While that always that doesn't always explain the situation, he actually had a home run in the last game, so I guess right. give him credit for that. But he's not performing like how you expect and I don't know if this is a hot take, but maybe we hopped on the maybe he's underpaid train way too early. Uh, that's fair. That is fair. Well, and also, too, like we can't even say because that. Because he was doing this in the second half of last year, too. Let's right. not forget that. Correct. Correct. But, I mean, it's not even like, okay, he's just started to turn it on late because he's hitting worse now in the last seven games. He's hitting 136 in the last seven. Yeah, he had a rough rough. Three-game stint out there in Oakland. I don't know, rough year. <laughs> yeah. Um, in terms of the rest of this lineup, Jake Bowers is actually starting to come on a little bit. I think he's got his average close up to the, about the 250, 240 range. He's starting to improve that. He's actually a threat on the base pass. That's nice to see. Uh, I could see some improvement in his fielding. That's probably his only knock I have right now. But he's he's improving as the day go- goes on. Uh, in Tampa, his limited time in the majors, he was hovering around a 220 average. So it is positive to see that he is making progression and his ability at the plate. Right. And then, okay, you won't hear me say this often, but I I will give Kipnis a compliment. Okay. He can lay down a bunt to beat the shift. This whole bunting crap is actually starting to get on my nerves. I see at least... Once an inning, a guy's taking a square for a bunt while they might pull it back and never do it again. They're thinking about it. Every single guy. I saw Perez try to put down a bunt against Chicago this past week. Yeah, and then he had a home run? I think he had a home run yeah, at the same was, at bat. Yeah, I was going to say, I, th- I think he... Well, because wasn't that the uh, failed steal? I think it was the, yes, the bunt. Yes, Bowers, yes. Failed steal, solo shot to center. Yes, you're right. Um... We got to give Robo credit here. Well, we do. He, I think, in the past fifteen days or so, he's hitting over three hundred, and this has been something that guys like Andre Knott and whatnot have been talking about all season long. The more opportunities he gets every day at bats, it seems like he gets better. He's batting above two hundred. I can't tell you if, if he's ever done that for a full season in his career with the Tribe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to. Yeah, look that I don't up. think so because he's usually notoriously around one eighty, one ninety. I mean, always good defensively, but. You can never expect too much. And generally, that goes across the board for a lot of different uh, catchers. I mean, like you have to be a special catcher to be hitting over 250. Sure. And absolutely. And still playing really well defensively. Absolutely. I mean, with Robo, I was expecting, you know, over the Mendoza line, I would have said, you know, great, give me that. Right. I, that's where my expectations were with him. Right. Well, also, too, he, I don't know what happened, but he learned how to hit a home run. He's done it five times this year now. He's really shown a lot of power. And you know what? Actually, it hurts my soul, and I know it always hurts you to go back to this, but that playoffs in 2016, he's starting to show that type of power that he had in that that, that run. You know, this the, probably the second happiest moment in that playoffs was seeing him round first base with the biggest smile sure. after he had a home run. Just like, okay, there's no way we lose. Roberto Perez just hit a home run. And he's having the time of his life. Things were things were easier and simpler then before we knew the results. Right. <laughs> I mean, he is on pace though, because he came into this year with a career career home run total of twenty one. Oh wow. He is I didn't at know that. five and we are the last 
last game just put us over, so we're just a, like a fraction over a quarter of the way through the season, mm-hmm. and he's already at five. He could, if he stays on this pace, he can double his career home run total in one year. That's actually great. I couldn't even imagine him as a 20 home run guy. No. I, I'm i happy he's at five. As a catcher, too. I mean, let alone who he is as a player. Just as a catcher getting over 20 home runs, I mean, you're putting yourself in the category of, like, JT Real Muto, Gary Sanchez, once upon a time, maybe a Buster Posey, but, right. I mean, it's very rare. I mean, his career high for a season was eight, and that was our star-studded season of 2017 <laughs> that we somehow right. didn't win a playoff series, but that's fine. But, I mean, that's also, too, you have to remember, he was splitting time with Jan Gims, and he still hit. Was that the well, was 2016 was the year he got hurt, or was it 2017 when he no, got hurt in Minnesota? Jan was hurt in 2016 because that's why Roberto was playing in the postseason. Right, that's right. I mean, granted, mm-hmm. like Jan, like I'd say it was fairly even if I remember correctly, kind of them splitting playing time. But I mean, regardless, he had less than 250 at bats in 2017 and was able to hit eight home runs. That's. Just that number kind of sounds like it's more like 60-40 for Jan. And that honestly, that's what it kind of felt like. Right. But I just mean, he is, as of right now, Roberto Perez is having a career year. And unfortunately, he is one of our best hitters. And I, I say unfortunately because if he's up there, then that means we, uh, we have bigger issues. Yeah, I mean, Lindor is doing Lindor things. It's good to see him swing the bat well. Right. Yeah. I guess here's a question I want to pose to you. He's hitting so well. He's doing what he typically does, but you also got to factor in the supporting cast hasn't been as good as it has been in the past. Do you question maybe moving him out of that one spot? I'm fine with leaving him there if it, I think we have bigger issues with our lineup that needs to be shaken up. Sure. Like get Kipnis out of the top third of the lineup. Kipnis keeps on batting second. I I just, I'm okay with moving Jose down. Jose obviously is not in the right mindset, the right playing form to be in that top four right now. I I understand that. Right. No. But Tito and the boys is just running that top section and I just can't get it. I don't understand it. Why is he up there? Your guess is as good as mine. Um, I mean, Kipnis is hitting 14 points better than Jose. It's still not good at 209 for like, Kipnis. We moved Martin all the way down from one to nine. Like, I I don't get the—I get it. He started to slump before you moved him out of that one spot. I mean, the last seven, though, he's hitting 294. I honestly—I would probably put Martin at one and put Lindor at two. Or you can kind of shift everything back because if you move Carlos up to leadoff, he can do it. He has done it. He would hit. I, remember the year where he was batting leadoff and it was just hitting jacks every yeah. first at bat. Yeah. I it's mean, weird. But the problem is, is that your lineup's so bad, you need someone in that 3-4 spot that you can continuously count on. Which, actually, to say, he hasn't really been that good to count on in the past couple of games, though. Right. I mean, he's still at 271 on the year. And in the last seven... Yikes, 167 yeah. in the last seven. I honestly I'm considering moving up Bowers. I know he's at five or he was at six. Mm-hmm. Move him up to three or four. Yeah, honestly, like, why not? Or swap him out for Kip. They're both left-handed batters, so you're not messing up your lineup in that realm. Right. I mean, honestly, why not? We're at this point in the season, like, you're four and a half out of first. But you're also banking on the twins aren't gonna be able to keep this up. So why not? Just mess with it. It's still early. Just kind of get guys for a feel. Shift the order. Get things get things rolling. And especially with you still hanging in the mix while having big names on the IL, mm-hmm. make your moves. I mean, every day is important to get you closer to that division lead. Right. Because, it, I, like I said, I don't know how much longer the Twins can stay as hot as they have been, and a lot of that has to do with the easy schedule they've had early on in the season. Right. But, I mean, one bad stretch, and this goes from four to nine, like that. Right, which is also why I think that makes this upcoming four-game series with the Orioles so much more important. These are very, very easily winnable games. Oh, I mean, you're getting four, eight, you're getting 11 games at home. You need to dominate this home stretch. 
You need to have seven, eight wins out of the whole home stretch. Because when have you had this? Uh, this is the biggest home stretch you've had all year. You right. need to take advantage of that. And let's to finish up this topic. Let's move into the rest of the schedule for this home stand. Like you said, we have a four game stint with the Orioles. You back end that with a three game stint again. The return trip from Oakland. You get the below five hundred Oakland A's, which you need to take advantage of. Which is what made last weekend so much more frustrating. It was so frustrating. And especially losing off in walk-off fashion in the two games you lost. Right. Which actually gets lost from your mind, thinking about how bad we played in that series. Yeah. So that's easily... Gotta take two two or three in that. Easily. Honestly, you have to win all of these series for me to feel confident that you can keep on going and stay with the Twins until your big-name pitchers get back. Right. Like I said, I think you need seven or eight wins out out of these 11 games. So that would be winning three of four in one of the four game sets, and winning, splitting, and winning the the series against Oakland. Right. So you, like you said, you had that three game stint with Oakland, and then you end the homestand with a four game stretch with the Tampa Bay Rays before you go on the road to face both of the Soxes, and which will likely heat up that schedule because you need to take advantage now in this homestand. Because this is what you got waiting for you on the road. You got at the Red Sox for three, at the White Sox for three. Then you return home and play the Twins and the Yankees back to back. That's a that's a very tough stretch. Yeah, yes it is. I mean, you cannot go into that series with honestly. Let's just say Boston being back five or six games mm-hmm. and feeling comfortable. Right. You cannot afford that at all. Ah. Uh. This team. I haven't actually seen the schedule for the Twins recently. Um, they have a, they go out west. Uh, they play at Seattle for four this weekend, and then a uh, three-game set start of next week at the Angels. So, I mean, the Angels are, what, below 500? Yeah, they're, like, covering right around it. And Seattle's right at 500, too. But, I mean, it, it is on the road. So, I mean, for the Twins, I feel like it's kind of a... Uh, for them, it's kind of a gut check. See where they're at. So, I mean, go out, go out west for seven games against five hundred, a little worse than teams. I'm curious to see how how they do out there. Cause I mean, if they win five of seven, I mean, they gotta be feeling pretty good about themselves. I mean, just looking at their schedule, especially with the month of June, looks so favorable. I mean, they have a three game stint with Boston and a three game stint with the Rays. And then not counting our series, that's pretty much it for teams that are over 500 right now. In the Rays. In June. Well, I said the, the Rays, the oh, Sox, okay. and then us. Gotcha. Would yeah. be the only three teams in the month of uh, June that they would face that's over 500. So they play a lot of divisional games. They got three against the Tigers. You have one, two, three. You have two different. Oh, my s- goodness. This is ridiculous. So they, in they, June. They play the Royals seven times. Right. Yeah. Let's look at July. So they face. Us, and then the Yankees. Those are the only teams in July they face that are over 500 right now. Uh, move it down to August. You have Atlanta. I think they're hovering around 500. You have us again. Uh, you have Milwaukee, and that's that. I mean, this, honestly, I hate to look this far ahead, especially this early in the season, but... It's not that early, though. Here's the thing, though. Their end of the year kind of looks a little... A little shaky. So September, if they're at least, if they don't have a lead going into September, they're going to have some trouble. Well, okay, yeah, but they finished their last one. Well, yeah, they finished all in the division between the Sox, Royals, and Detroit to end the season. So even then, early on in September. Their last 13 games are against the three worst teams in the division. The last 13 games. This is why it's so imperative for this team to start learning how to hit real fast because the schedule for the Twins looks rather favorable. Right, right. And then also, too, like we, for whatever reason, then we struggle, again, like the White Sox. I mean, the first series, you and I both commented, how was this a major league team regarding the White Sox? Right. And then the next series we played against them, we looked absolutely terrible. The White Sox looked like they could actually be a major Major League Baseball team. Through eight games, we're split four and four with them. It's not good. No, it's not. It's not good. Well, it's interesting to see how this homestand will turn out.
So the Browns are back in town with OTAs starting back up. Day two was completed on Wednesday. And there was a lot of news and notes coming out of said OTA. Most notably, sounds like Kareem Hunt starting to look like his Pro Bowl self. And while it might be just shirts and shorts right now, they're obviously taking note of what he's doing in terms of receiving the ball out of the backfield, which is going to be a huge plus for this team. But what are your takeaways so far as we just get warmed up into what's going to be a litany of summer activities surrounding this team going forward. I'm just excited to see the boys out there again. I, I, I'm not, like, granted the throw that is all over social media from Baker to Odell wasn't Baker's best throw. I don't care. No, the I fact don't... that I can physically see it right. is like, well, it's also, reality. You, well, can also, now, you can now hug him. He's yours. Right. Well, I also think, too, you have to adjust Odell from being thrown behind by Eli all the time. So gradually sure. working towards, okay, I can lead you out in front now, and Odell will catch it then. Um, no, I, I, I'm giddy. I'm very excited. to. So not much to anyone's surprise, but Odell Beckham showed up for the first day of OTAs and then substantially to a lot of people's especially in the media's shock, was not here for day two and probably will not be here for the rest of OTAs. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned before the show, I mean, he told the Browns this, so it's not a big deal, and it's also voluntary. So Right. I mean, the four-letter network this morning was talking about, like, they, they're the ones who said, yeah, he talked with the Browns, said that there'd be some days that he won't be able to make it due to having other things to do, such as, you know, like, Finding somewhere to live. Yeah, that could be a I big mean, one. A little important to do. And then just like some other things going on, which is a non story there. But they only mentioned it that one time. But then they talked about like every cycle. They just kept saying, Oh, OBJ's not there. This is an issue. And then of course, like Freddie Kitchens de escalates the problem because it's a non problem. I mean, obviously, we know Odell can catch the ball. That's all you really need them to do. It's voluntary, and this guy works out harder than anybody in the league. Right, and it's just like I feel like the only the only time where this would be a problem is if the players were upset about it because sure. they're out there grinding and he's not. I mean, that's not to say he's not doing workouts on his own. And then also to this today, well, yesterday, Wednesday's OTA was the only day where it was open to the media. So I think it's also fair to say that maybe OBJ just didn't feel like talking to the media. Thus why he didn't show up. That's a I mean, we'll find out in the next coming days if he shows up to the rest of OTAs. That might be an answer there. But yeah, there's there's no story to this. I mean, I know we saw an exchange with uh the, the one man at the one outlet up in the Cleveland region trying to, you know, try to stir things up and Baker had a response to it and kind of tried to rattle him a little bit. But yes, it's no big story. It's you, you you would like to have guys there, but of course it's voluntary. They don't have to be there. You know, let's get into the training camp first, mini camp. If right. they don't show up then, then I guess that's an issue, but I don't see that coming with Odell Beckham Jr. No, I don't see that with any of the guys. Like, okay, Duke was there. That's the yesterday next guy. too. Well, was he though? Because a lot of reports said that he was showing up, but it looks like he hasn't. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I didn't actually see him out there. I just heard that he was there. <laughs> yes, it sounds like from the coaching staff they were expecting him to show up, but it sounds like he hasn't. And at this point, I mean, we can take a long part of this segment to talk about it, but at what point do you just you say screw it and trade him and get at least some value for him before you just start sitting out everything else and it's clear and apparent that the leverage will be gone for this team at some point? Right. Well, I'm still not that concerned with it because during again during Wednesday's OTA was open to the media so Freddie Kitchens was asked about it and he said that he's been communicating with Duke about every day every other day so I mean again that that may just be Freddie just protecting his guys and even if Duke doesn't want to be here he's still on the roster therefore one of Freddie Kitchens guys so I I mean I do I do appreciate Freddie Kitchens defending all of his players. Um, but as of right now, I'm not that concerned with Duke. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, like with us signing Cream Hunt. Obviously, that means that he's, once we get past the eight-game suspension of Cream Hunt, then obviously his 
carries are going to rapidly decline. I mean, it's not like he was getting any carries in the first place, though. This is true. This is true. I I mean, I mean, he was always a part of a two-back system. First, it was right. with him and Crowell, and then last year at the start was a part of a three, well, two running back system where you threw in Chubb for three carries, even though he would put up, what, two touchdowns and 150 yards on three carries right. against Oakland? It's just with the running back position, and it's so, it's been easy for a lot of teams to replace that position. Right. I would have hopped on the opportunity to find a team that was needy of a pass-catching running back and see what they could do with them. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's just clear that this marriage between the two sides is pretty much severed. Well, I mean the... I understand they've been in contact, but I mean, he's demanded a trade. I don't know how much further that can get. Right, but at the same point, like, the Browns need a running back for the first half of the season. Like, you can't just have one guy. You need two guys. And obviously in a perfect world, Duke can play the first eight games, see where things go. And then, like I said, just see where things go. But, I mean, obviously Duke has emotions and wants to play and sees the writing on the wall. So obviously he's not content. But, I mean, I'm just... I don't know. It's true. I understand both sides of it. I think his biggest concern, though, is that he just signed a big extension recently. Right. Yeah, it was coming into last year. Didn't he sign a three-year extension? Right. So a multi-year extension, eventually, quite honestly, for a year, is about to get his role erased for half the season. I mean... Right. Well, also, too, I feel like the Browns weren't going to and still are trying to not get rid of Duke because say Kareem Hunt does something bad and then he gets cut and if you already traded Duke then now you literally only have one running back for the entire season then and then you'd have to just pick some guy that got cut off of a got cut from training camp I guess the better question then is 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 there nothing in the market in terms of value that matches what that safety valve is that I'm not sure of. Let because, me let me look up our uh, top free agent running backs. Right, because, I mean, it, it obviously depends on the team you're talking about, but just thinking about the compensation it would take to get Duke, I thought, quite honestly, something around the draft is what I was expecting. If he was going to get dealt, it was going to be something along the lines of draft picks involving this past draft. It didn't turn out to be that case, and they also didn't draft a running back at all. Like, they brought on some undrafted free agents, most notably a Northeast Ohio kid himself, LJ Scott, who actually just left the team for reasons, quite honestly, he just said he's quitting football. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're... I'm trying to think of different avenues they could take in terms of what would entice them to make the trade and make it worth worthwhile to give up such a valuable asset as a change of pace back. Right. But I don't know what that is. Like, obviously, the top of the top is what they would love to get, but what is the reasonable value you can get for him? I mean, can you? would you value Duke as a third-round draft pick? Would I personally do it? Yes, absolutely. Would another team do it? I don't know. It just really depends on their needs. I think before the Jordan Howard trade, you could have gotten that out of Philly. Yeah. They waited too long. Eventually... Philly got Jordan Howard for, I think, a sixth-round pick, something cheap like that. So, of course, they're going to take that and that bruiser-back mentality over the finesse receiving back. Mm -hmm. But I'm just looking up and down the list of teams in the NFL, and I can't really find anybody that's overly dying for this style of back because a lot of teams build their roster with guys like Duke. Right, yeah. Uh, Looking at, according to WalterFootball.com, Top available free agent running backs, Jay Ajayi. Knee issues, pretty much a hard guess to p- decide if any teams really value him at this point. You got, let's see, Marshawn Lynch retired. And it sounds like he actually might be available to come back if the Raiders won him. I don't know, his whole situation's a mess. Yeah, uh, Alex Collins. Again, another guy that's, you know, he's had fumbling issues, wasn't really dependable in his time in Baltimore. Obviously, I'm not putting him over Duke. T.J. Yeldon. Uh, did T.J. Yeldon get cut? Because I believe he signed with Buffalo. He's one of like seven running backs they have there. Mm, uh, he might have been. 
Uh, like I said, it looks like I'm not sure how up to date this is. Um, they do list a lot of players that have signed, but as of right now, it doesn't have him. But yeah, to mention a team that has too many running backs, you're talking about the Bills that have LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, uh, Chris Ivory, and then they drafted another running back. Oh, Devin Singletary, the running back out of FAU. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this doesn't tell you the state of the running back position in 2019, I don't know what does. And I, I, like I said, I can't find a team that's dying to trade for Duke. So maybe it just has a lot to do with there's just not a market right now. While, while his talent is marketable, the position itself does not allow it to be marketable. Right. And then to conclude this list, we have Darren Sproles, age 36. Which is, I mean, he's more of a receiver than Duke is, and that's saying something. Right. But that's literally what he is, is a receiving threat. Darren Sproles played in the 2003 Fiesta Bowl, the year after the title game that Ohio State played in. They played. He was with Kansas State okay. and played Ohio State. That's how old that guy is. Yeah, he's 36. Yeah. He's up there with uh, Frank Gore, who's also 36. Oh, my goodness, man. Bunch of uh, journeymen at the running back position still chugging along in the NFL. Uh, another notice that a lot of people have been taking – Obviously, they're t- taking a good look at it. Is how sharp Antonio Callaway looks, whether it's physically and, you know, what he's producing on the field in terms of his route running, his just fluidity as a receiver. He's gotten high praise from the likes of Baker Mayfield. He says, "I think I can speak for a few people. We've been very pleasantly and very happy." Quote doesn't make sense with how he came back from the offseason ready to go. Talking about Antonio Callaway. This is a guy that could step up as that number three receiver in this offense and could give you one of the most surefire one, two, three punches at wide receiver in the league. Right. I mean, he showed flashes of that last year, too. Because, I mean, to start off the year, we had Josh Gordon (laughs) and Jarvis, and then he was a big three guy. And, um, I mean, his catch against the Saints was the best. It was a good showing of what potential he has. Sure, as a deep threat, which I think is what they're looking for from him. And it's what he displayed during his time at Florida the most. Right. And I mean, I I just love the idea of having Odell and Jarvis and then having Callaway being your third guy. You, Because he's going to be single coverage the entire season. Right. So, I mean, it's just going to be turn and burn with him. And if he if he finds a seam, gets open... Obviously, Baker's just going to air it out to him. It's going to be interesting because I believe with that style of play, he's going to have to be on the outside opposite of Odell. And it's going to put Jarvis in the slot, which I think works out best for him. And it's going to make him more effective for this team. Right. And then we also, talking about the guy that spoke highly of Callaway, here is Baker Mayfield talking on the difference between year one and year two for him. Um. Yeah, it's definitely a, a lot different you know, position and you know, mentality-wise, being the, the vocal guy here now and uh, it's just it's a big difference from from now to last year Uh, but it's it's a great difference you know to be able to be that guy that people are looking at um, you know during OTAs and and during meetings and stuff like that that's important to me. Will you uh, and Beckham and some of the other guys get together again in California and do your own throwing sessions? Yeah we will. What what was your reaction when he told GQ that he thought you were a Hall of Famer? So this is a guy that's obviously dedicated to his craft and I didn't want to get his cut real quick of the discussion that Odell had with GQ. <laughs> and rightfully so is the guy, Fred Greetham, that got this video for us. Um, yeah, this guy's really starting to prove. And obviously you're taking the leap from a rookie season into his year two of being a stand-above leader for this team. Right. I mean, he also talked about, too, uh, later on in that press conference that he really is just looking to eliminate the rookie mistakes that he made, which there wasn't a whole lot that he made. Honestly, he, the only game I can think back to is that Houston game where he had a couple interceptions in the right. first half, but then bounced back yeah. and got us back in the game. Yeah, he he made some halftime adjustments. So I don't whether that's credit to both him and Freddie Kitchens being able to make adjustments at that. And then, yeah, he had a hell of a second half. So, I mean, I Baker's the GOAT. 
I'm very interested to see how much he grows as a leader, which, quite honestly, he was one of the best rookie leaders I've seen in all of football, as long as I can remember. Right. Just coming onto the field as a rookie and taking over a team like he did. Right. I think that's just his entire personality and just the way that he goes about things. Because he's, he's a grinder. I mean, being able to walk on at two different schools, or in starting jobs at two different schools. Yes. To walk on to win a Heisman, to then turn around the laughing stock of the NFL to now going into year two with him, is the talk of the league. It is, and rightfully so. He's, to this point, has put in the work to warrant that type of consideration. Uh, another name that I need to bring up real quick, and he's not even on the team anymore, it's Jamie Collins found a new home. New is maybe not the right word to put it. It's an old home. He finds his way back to the evil empire with Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. I found it funny how Patriots fans were, you know, just dogging on not only us, but just Jamie as a person with, you know, underperforming is the best way to put it with what he's what he did during his time in Cleveland. Right. Only for him to come back today and they're embracing him like the lost child coming back to the family. Yeah, I mean, with them, though, like, you can do no wrong. Bill Belichick can do no wrong. Oh, of course not. Well, I mean, his track record, track record speaks for itself. I'm I, just curious. It's funny that Bill's going to get his way. He's eventually going to get Jamie Collins on a small deal. Right. But Jamie did not want back when they traded him. It's so ironic how he can work things like that. Yeah. he. I mean, there's a reason why he is, I will say, the best coach to ever coach in the NFL. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I know Don Shula is a name that people like to bring up as maybe a rival to that. but Right. I mean, you can't have a conversation, though, about the greatest coaches in the NFL and not have Belichick near the top. Oh, of course, yeah. In any debate, his name has to be there or else it's a debate not worth having. Right. I mean, also, too, like you just pair him with the freak of nature that is Tom Brady. I I don't like to get into the because obviously I, well what's I, your, what's your definition of freak of nature because that he's how old and just won a Super Bowl yeah he's forty two his a, longevity is my I'll give is you what that. I, is what I'm going for with that freak of nature in terms of him as a quarterback I this is my hottest take I've ever had in my life I share it with everybody and I I promise you I have some reason behind it he's one of the most accomplished quarterbacks mm-hmm. ever right but he's not the most skilled quarterback I, ever I agree with that but he really doesn't make that many mistakes well would you if you're just doing dumb boss check down Charlie's all day no I get it I, he, I know I'm giving put, I'm he, giving him a hard time he I, puts his team in a position to win multiple Super Bowls you're right it works and especially in the system that he plays in it's great I don't want to tarry this to- this topic on very long because we need to finish up here but I'll ask you this real quick is he a system quarterback Tom Brady? Yes. Yeah. Good. I am happy you say that because we are in the minority thinking that at times. Because I think people get their judgment clouded by seeing the guy and thinking he's the greatest of all time, which I believe most successful quarterback puts him in that category. Right. But skill does knock him down a little bit. I will agree. But, I mean, him and Belichick are the – it's the perfect marriage. Oh, sure. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, you – Look at all the rings they have. You can't deny that. Right. So I mean, it's been the what, nine Super Bowls? One six? Yeah, I think that sounds right. I mean, that's just astonishing. And like we really haven't seen I mean, they're obvious they've been the team to beat since they won their first Super Bowl. And what was that? Two thousand one? Two thousand three? Early two thousands. Uh, might have been two thousand. Okay. No, it, I think you're right. It might have been oh one. Okay. So I mean we're now going into the 18th year, 19th year of them being the team to beat. Right. And I mean, just to have a team, like, to have a dynasty like that is just unheard of. I mean, you can look. Especially in the, the salary cap era. Right. I mean, you can look at, like, college football and see what Saban's done with Alabama. Sure. But, I mean, Alabama's only been relevant. Ha- I mean, half yeah. of that. I mean, how long has Saban been with Alabama? Saban's been there since, oh, man. See, they won. I want to say, like, 05. 
Okay, well, they, they didn't win their first national championship under him until, was that, 2000? I think it was 08 or 09. Yeah, because Florida, Florida had won. They won, did Florida win back-to-back? I know they beat Ohio State, and that was 2007. Florida did not win back-to-back. They won. Tebow, that, the, 06 yeah, the, was Tebow's freshman year. Chris Leak. And then I believe his senior year. No, his junior year. His junior year. Okay. They lost to Alabama his senior year. That's the year that Mark Ingram and the squad went and beat Texas. Right. So, I mean, just looking at that, though, like that's half the time that the Patriots have been on top of the NFL? Yes, you're right. I just think people get their, again, I don't want to go long on this, <laughs> but I think people get their judgment clouded on what they exactly mean by greatest of all time. Because I, I think I, I think you can break it into two different categories: the most accomplished player of all time and the greatest skilled player of all time. Uh, I will agree with that, and obviously Tom Brady is the most accomplished quarterback. I, there's no discussion on that, right? So I, again, I and also too, he never Tom Brady never gets himself into any issues, which is why I I liked seeing Baker hanging out with Tom Brady at the the Kentucky Derby. Sure, I mean obviously I think Tom Brady is a Positive role model for our young unless if he's, uh, quarterback to have. Unless if he's deflating footballs. I mean, you don't want that. Well, it, it didn't cost him anything. They still won well, a Super. They still won a Super Bowl. He missed what three, four games, and yeah, then came back and beat the Browns. Yes. First game after that His suspension. First game happened to be against the Browns. Yes, that's, that's back when our luck was not very on our side. It's okay. We got the luck now. We got that bye week going into New England. That is how we're going to end the show because our luck is finally on our side. We have it. Thank you again for everybody listening. For Zach, this is CB. Thank you again for listening. We will see you next week for episode 16 already. Oof. See you then. Here we go again.